Well, welcome to part four of It Is Written. We've been spending the first 21 days of the new year focusing on prayer and the Word. We finished 21 days of prayer and fasting yesterday, and uh, I've had some donuts this morning, and I'm wound up. And um, (laughs) we're good to go. And uh, we're going to finish up our uh, four-part It Is Written series today. We're going to be, you know, the prayer and the Word, it's the two wings of the Christian life. Uh, In the beginning, God. We connect with God. We're spiritual beings. We pray to God. In the beginning was the Word. God speaks to us through His Word. You've got to have both of those if if you're going to live the Christian life. And So we want to wrap it up here with the Word today. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the key word in that passage is the word hold. Because it's not just enough to hear God's word, not just enough to read it. You've got to hold on to God's word. And Jesus says that the people who hold on to his teaching, they're his real disciples. And he promises that then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And now know the truth doesn't just mean that you have it in your head. When you know the truth, it's got to go into your heart. And when the truth goes from your head to your heart, that's when you're set free. You're set free in your marriage, in your money, in your job, with your kids, in your emotions. I mean, you want to be set free? You got to get God's word into your head, into your heart, and put it into practice into your life. You got to hold on to God's word. How do I do that? How do I do that? I'm going to tell you today. Number one, to hold on to God's Word, I need to make God's Word the foundation of my life. That means everything else in your life is built upon it. That's the role of a foundation. And the quality of the structure depends on the quality of the foundation. The quality of your marriage, the quality of your emotions, the quality of your job, the quality of your finances is all contingent on the quality of the foundation that you have for your life. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so you hear God's word and you do what it says. And when you do that, it makes you wise and you build your life on the foundation of God's word. The problem is we're often tempted to build our life on another foundation. And I've seen it, you've seen it. I've, uh, peop, a lot of people, even Christians, build their life on the wrong foundation. And then when the storm comes, just like Jesus said it would, and uh, their life just goes splat, just like Jesus said it would, because they foolishly built their life on the wrong foundation. What are some of the wrong foundations that I need to warn you about? First one is popular culture. If you build your life on popular culture, you are building on an unstable, shifting foundation. Because what is popular today is unpopular tomorrow. Culture changes constantly. It's just the nature of culture. Biblical truth stays the same. And one of the most important decisions that you're going to have to make is, is how much popular culture am I going to let into my life? I ask myself that question all the time when I'm watching TV. I mean, I'll shut stuff off halfway through because it's giving me the wrong cultural message. When when I'm listening to music, when I'm picking out a movie, I've walked out of movies. Looking at a website, listening to the news or, or to talk radio, I'll turn it off. Why? Because 
I'm asking myself, how much do I want that stuff affecting and infecting my life? Because the stuff you let in through the eye gate and the ear gate, the stuff you pour into your life, it will affect and infect your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why God says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. The crowd, the majority, is often wrong. Can't build your life on their opinion. Next, tradition can be a wrong foundation to build your life on. And a lot of people, especially believers often don't have their life built on God's truth. They have their life built on tradition. And while popular culture can be very alluring to young people, tradition is very alluring to old people like me. Okay? You know, we, far too many believers, instead of becoming more and more spiritual, we become more and more sentimental about the way we've always done things. And, you know, uh, it's real easy to look out at others and think, oh, you know, they're stuck in tradition and to, you know, point at, you know, old churches and churches with hymns and organs and stained glass and to, oh, you know, they got, they're stuck in tradition. But I'm going to tell you, we can get stuck in it here. I mean, we've been doing things around here the same way for 20 years, and 20 years is a long time. And we can fall into the trap of thinking that the way we do things here, the way we've always done things, that... that that's the, the foundation we need to build on. No, our foundation needs to be biblical truth. And so even in our environment, when change happens, you'll get some pushback. You know, don't change my parking, don't change my service time, don't change my seating, don't change my music, don't change my small group, don't change my youth group, don't change my coffee. I said don't change my coffee! <laughs> been watching you. <laughs> Don't change any of that. But it's okay to you know, change what the Word of God says. And people and pastors and churches fall into that trap all the time. You hang on to something because it's the way you've always done it. No, you've got to hang on to, hang on to biblical truth. Jesus says you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And that'll, that'll make, it's a wrong foundation for your life. Next one is the false foundation of opinion. Opinion. Well, let me see what I think about what the Bible says. Let me pass judgment on God's word, and maybe then I'll put it into practice. You know, I've thought about it, and, and uh, this is what seems right to me. A lot of that going on in the church today. We know what the Bible says. But we've thought about it, and it just doesn't seem right to us. And so we've redefined marriage, and we've redefined sexuality and gender, and we've redefined the family, and we've redefined a lot of things that the Bible is not silent on or unclear about. But we have redefined them based on our opinion. The Bible warns us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Anytime something seems one way to you, but it's another way in God's word, you need to go with God. You need to go with God. God's bigger. God's thoughts are higher. God's ways are not my ways. God is bigger, smarter, and wiser than us. We need to go with, we need to go with a bigger, smarter, wiser one. It's the last one, most unstable, uncertain one, and that's the foundation of feelings. Feelings. You know, if it feels right, must be right. This just feels like the right thing to do. But your feelings will lie to you. 
Feelings are wonderful, but they're unstable. They're untrustworthy. And for many people, feelings are their theology. But, but if you trust your feelings instead of God's word, it'll lead you into chaos. Chaos will rule your life. One of the most tragic books in your Bible is the book of Judges. Why, why is it full of such tragic stories? Look at Judges 21. It says, that time there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. Everything was driven by their feelings. And you read through there and you see the tragic consequences in the lives of people, in the life of the nation of Israel. If everybody does what he feels is right, chaos ensues. And one of my goals as a pastor is to help bring order to your chaos. Because God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. God wants you to live a well-ordered life. The world, the flesh, the devil love chaos. The world is chaotic. The flesh is chaotic. The devil feeds chaos. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the self under control. You know, people say, look at me. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm just doing what I feel like doing. No, that's not being filled with the Spirit. That's being controlled by the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is the self under control control. It's not chaos based on your feelings. So you don't want to build on those foundations. You want to build your life on the foundation of God's Word. And I want to answer two questions, not in your notes. You'll just have to jot these down. And the first one is, what do I do when I read something I don't understand in the Bible? And I'll just tell you, at that point, you've got to make the decision to let God be true and every man a liar. You just, I don't have to understand it in order to agree with it. That's just a decision you have to make because God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. God is God. I'm not. And obviously, there will be things that I don't understand in the Bible. I mean, frankly, if everything about God can fit into my head, you don't want to worship and serve a God like that. If I can get all of God, if I read the Bible and understand everything in it, then God is the size of me. And some people are comfortable with a God the size of them. They like a God they can take out and play with. They like a God they can boss around. They like a God they can understand. They, they like a God that, that, that agrees with them all the time. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is mightier than me. The God of the Bible knows stuff that I don't know. The God of the Bible does stuff that I don't understand. And so as you read through your Bible reading plan this year, you're going to come across stuff that you do not understand. And so hopefully you'll study it, you'll research it, you'll ask questions. Maybe you'll come to understand it. But if you don't come to understand it, I just pray that your response will be, God, you can explain it to me later, but for now, I'm just going to trust you. Second question. What do I do when I understand it, but I don't like it? And you know, a lot of time I'll read through the Bible and I'm conflicted because I think, uh, I don't like this. Love my enemies? I don't like this. Lay down my life for my wife? You know, I mean, there's hard stuff in there. Well, you don't have to like it in order to obey it. And truth be known, there are some things in the Bible that you will never understand until you obey them. 
understanding often comes on the other side of obedience. So, in order to hold on to God's word, I've got to make God's word the foundation of my life. Number two, I must make it the first part of my daily life. How do I make it the first part of my daily life? I'm going to look at a verse and then I'm going to, I'm going to just show you how to do this. Jesus said, but seek first, circle that phrase, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. First things are very important to God. First things. And Matthew 6, all these other things, Matthew 6 is all about worry and about your needs. And so if you have things that you worry about, if you have things that you need, Jesus says if you will seek God first, then God will take care of your worries and your needs. You focus on God, God will focus on you. You focus on your worries, you shut God out of the process. You shut him out. So I want to present a concept for you that is workable and doable for you to seek God first, to give him the first part of your day. Now, if you've been following the Lord for a long time, this may seem very elementary to you, but we got a lot of new people here at Rockbrook, a lot of new people just starting their journey in God's Word, and so I just want to lay out a very doable, workable way to do this, and it's called the First 15. And First 15 refers to the first 15 minutes of your day. So in the first 15 minutes of your day, you want to do three things. First, you spend five minutes in the Word. You take five minutes and read something from the Word of God. And I would encourage you to use a reading plan. Uh, don't just skip and dip and hop and jump around through the Bible. That just creates confusion. And so pick a book, get a bookmark, and read five minutes every day in that book. And you do that and you'll be amazed at how you can move through the books of the Bible. You can learn a lot of Bible in five minutes if you do it consistently every day. And if you read a book at a time, you'll understand the scope and the theme and the content of that book. And that's very, very helpful. If you don't have five minutes, then read one verse. I would rather have you read one verse of the Bible every day than read nothing. Because it, it'll impact your life. So give the five-minute thing a try. Establish a habit of, of just reading something out of God's Word. First thing every day. Why? Because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. If you start the day with the word of God, it, it will light the path for you for the rest of the day. You, you'll know how to live. You'll know what to do. You'll know where to go. You'll know what to say. If you seek God first, God clears the path for you for the rest of the day. He takes care of your worries, takes care of your needs. Second five minutes. You spend five minutes in worship. In worship, It's amazing how listening to one song of praise and worship can just soothe the savage beast in your soul. It just sets the tone for the day. And some of you, you experienced that when you came to church today. Because you came in here and, and, and you had your tail tucked between your legs and your feathers were all ruffled up and your arm was sore from swatting those kids in the back seat. We're going to talk about biblical parenting in the next two weeks. So <laughs> we'll take care of this. 
And, but you come in here, and then there's a song about Jesus. And, you know, tell me I am loved. Tell me I am known. That you died for me. I'm not alone. Oh, man. You know, you're just refreshed and renewed and, and re-energized. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You need a verse for the day. You need a song for the day. Because a song will stick in your head and heart like nothing else will. That's why you've got to be careful what music you listen to. And you need to put God's praise on your lips. So five minutes in worship. Then five minutes in prayer. And I know some of you, you can do more than five minutes. That's, if you want to do 45 minutes, that's great. But for a lot of, lot of us, five minutes is brand new. And so here's your prayer outline. You just, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You thank God for a new day, you tell him what you need. Thank God, tell him what you need. And the reason why you do that is in the next verse. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who doesn't want the peace of God as they go through their day? You know, prayer's how you get it. You thank God, tell him what you need. It's your pathway. Five, five minutes in the word, five minutes in worship, five minutes in prayer. You just make it foundational. You do it daily and see what happens. See what happens. Third level of holding on to God's word is I make it grow deeper in my life. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And notice it says, let it. You have to let it dwell in you. The word of Christ wants to dwell in you richly. But you have to let it. So how do, you, how do you let God's word, how do you make God's word grow deeper in your life? Three things. First one, you've got to get a Bible translation that you like to read. And a lot of people uh, have an old Bible that they got in Sunday school when they were a kid, or they have an old family Bible that their grandma had, and those Bibles are precious and sentimental to them, but they are hard to read. They're hard to read. It's in English you don't understand. The pages are fragile. They even smell funny. You know, you need to get your own Bible. You need to get one that feels comfortable in your hands, that doesn't feel like it's going to fall apart. That you're, you know, get a translation that's easy for you to read. And I get questions about Bible translations all the time. Why are there so many translations? Which one's the right one? Well, the reason there are translations is because the Bible wasn't written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so for 1,600 years, if you wanted to read the Bible, you had to learn Hebrew or Greek. And then in 1611, King James commissioned the translation of the Bible into English. The problem with the King James Version is it reads like Shakespeare. And the reason it reads like Shakespeare is because it was written so the people of that day could understand it. I mean, that's, it sounds funny to us, but it was familiar to them. That's the way everybody talked back then. And the whole point of the King James Version was to get the Bible into the hands of the common man so they could read it and understand it. But in our day, some people have made that old Jacobean English sacred as if God speaks with a British accent. Okay? God doesn't have a British accent. He has a Jewish accent. 
Okay? Okay. But, but the King James, honest, it was fine in its day. It accomplished its task. But in our day, with advances in printing and uh, computers and scholarship, we have several, many English translations available to us. It's both the blessing and the curse of our generation. It's a blessing because reading multiple translations uh, can help you understand the Bible. I love to read multiple translations of the same verse. It's like looking at it in color instead of just black and white. But multiple translations can also create confusion. Which one's the right one? And I'll tell you which one's the right one. The right translation is the translation that you will read and then do it. The right translation is the translation that you will read and then do it. Uh, I have a master's degree in Old Testament languages. Back in the day, I could read and translate Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Syriac, uh, Sumerian, Ugaritic, and some Egyptian hieroglyphics. It was weird. Okay? It was weird. And, uh, and, you know, I used to do my own translation uh, when I would study and, and do the, the Bible. But, but what I noticed was that my translation sounded like everybody else's. And so I decided to stop wasting my time doing something that somebody else has already done for me. And I studied under several of the scholars who translated Bible versions. Uh, Dr. Fred Young, Dr. Joe Alexanian, Dr. Julian Hills. Godly men, sharp guys, knew them personally. And because of scholars like them, I don't have to do my own translating. On my computer, I can look up 55 different English versions with one click. Okay. That's what I have at my disposal. And what I've noticed is there is not a nickel's worth of difference from one translation to another. Okay. Yeah, sometimes they'll use a different word. They're almost always synonyms. Sometimes there's a different word order. That's just a matter of your understanding of grammar. Sometimes there's a different flow and a different feel to a translation. You know, that's just the nature of the beast. But is there a vast difference in meaning from one translation to the next? No, there's not. You can trust them all. None of them are going to send you to hell instead of heaven. They are all going to point you to Jesus Christ. Because that, that's why they've been done. And, and so you just need to find a translation that you like to read, read it, and do it. Personally, I like the New Living Translation. It's the one we give away at the information table. We give it away in our membership class. It's the one I start with when I do study. When I teach, I use a lot of different versions because I've got access to them all, and I like to just pick the one that says it the most clearly. And, uh, but get a, get a translation and read it and do it. Next, I would encourage you to get a study Bible. And you can get a study Bible in almost any of these versions. But a study Bible has explanatory notes. It has the Bible verses, and then it has notes that explain them and, and tells you what they mean. And, and for a study Bible, my first choice is the Ryrie Study Bible. Uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie was a professor of systematic theology at Dallas Theological Seminary for years. He died, I think, just last year at the age of 92. And his study Bible has over 10,000 explanatory notes in it. He, he's got a, a doctrinal supplement in the back where he just explains Bible doctrine. It's worth the price of the study Bible just to get those notes in the back. And so I've, I've, I love Ryrie. 
Uh, my second choice is the Life Application Study Bible. I like Ryrie for doctrine. I like Life Application for application. Ryrie tells me what I should believe. Life Application tells me what I should do about it. But you want to you invest. It's an investment. It'll cost you something. But you want to invest in a study Bible with a readable translation. Third thing you need to do to go deeper is you need to get in a small group. Because some of this stuff is never going to take root in your life until you've talked it out with other believers. That's just the way God wired us up. We are to function as the body of Christ. All the members need one another. And so our winter-spring semester of small groups are, are getting ready to start up, and you just need to get into a group. And you need to know that when you get into a group, you don't have to go to the group every week for the rest of your life. That's not the commitment that we're asking for. This semester is a 13-week semester. We'll take a break. We'll do six weeks in the summer. We'll take a break. We'll do 13 weeks in the fall. And you can change. The beauty of the semester system is, is you can change groups. You can find a group that's dealing with a topic that, that's interesting to you. You can plug in, study that topic, get to know a group of people. And then the next semester, you can change. And, and you can get to know some more people, and you can study something else. But when you do it in a group, amazing things happen in being able to understand and apply and live out the Word of God. Get, get into a small group. Fourth, to hold on to God's Word, you need to make it a weapon for the battles of life. We tend to think of Bible study as this quiet little nerdy pursuit. Okay? And we even used to like quiet time. I'm going to have my quiet time. Or daily devotions. You know, the Bible doesn't say it's quiet. The, the Bible says that you're putting on armor for a spiritual battle. And you're going to lose that battle if you don't arm yourself with the Word of God. I mean, look at it in Scripture, Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when, not if, when the day of evil comes. And folks, the day of evil is coming. And you better have your armor on and you better be ready for it so that you will be able to stand your ground. And in that passage, it, it identifies the armor that we put on. There's only one offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. The message says God's Word is an indispensable weapon. The Word is the weapon that Jesus used when he was tempted by the devil. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I mean, look at this, Matthew 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, say it with me, It is written. I mean, Jesus defeated the devil with the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Every time he was tempted, he quoted a Bible verse. It's interesting that the second time he's tempted, the, the devil quotes a Bible verse back at him. Because I think we've got dueling swords going on there, okay? So, you know, you need to understand it. So how do I do that? How, how, do I, how do I use the sword of the Spirit? Scripture memory. Scripture memory. And I know what just happened. Yeah. I just, I lost probably most of you at that point. And, and you're thinking in your mind, you know, I can't memorize Scripture. And so let me just tell you, I can't either. I can't. Used to be able to, I can't. My mind's like a sieve, I try, I can't memorize it. So I'm going to let you off the hook. 
Okay? If you can't memorize Bible verses, this is why you want to do this when, you, when you're a kid. This is why you want to get your kid into Rockbrook for Kids. This is why you, as a parent and an adult, ought to work in Rockbrook for Kids. To help those kids memorize God's Word so that when they're our age, they got their armor on. You care about your kids, you care about the next generation, you ought to be doing that. That was free. <laughs> but I mean it, okay? Don't I? Yeah. So, but if it's too hard for you to memorize a Bible verse, then internalize it. Familiarize the Bible. You know, pick some Bible verses for the spiritual battles that you're going to face. There are verses in there that will help you with your purity, with your finances, with your marriage, with your kids, with your eating, with, with whatever gossip, whatever your temptation is. Find those verses and then internalize them. Pick a verse. Read it over and over until you know what it says. Read it until you could tell somebody what it means. Don't say it word for word. It's not a magic phrase that if you don't say it word for word, you jinx it. No, you just need to know the truth of it and claim it in your life. Oh, pastor, my mind, my, my brain's just like a sieve. Stuff just runs through it. The Bible says that the word is like water, and as it runs through us, it purifies, it cleans us. So if you just give it a shot, even if you don't remember it, you're cleaning yourself up by doing that. And, and so you just want to claim the truth of God's word. You know, I really struggle remembering Bible references. I, I'm more likely to remember where the verse is on the page in my Bible. I can picture it where it's at on the page than I am to remember the, the, the Bible reference. But I noticed something preparing for this message. I noticed that when Jesus rebuked the devil with Scripture, Jesus didn't give the reference. <sighs> He didn't give the reference. You know what he said? He said, it is written. It's written. So internalize those verses. And when the devil comes knocking on your door, just tell him, listen, it is written. It's in here. I read it. Not only did I read it, I believe it. Not only do I believe it, I'm building my life on it. It is written. Now get out of here. And start living on the victory side of these battles because you're living according to the Word of God instead of just, I can't memorize Scripture, I can't, I can't read the Bible, I don't have any time, I can't get in a small group, I'm too busy. And you're just getting knocked around, you're getting beat up by the world, the flesh, and the devil because you're not learning how to stand your ground. Fifteen minutes, you can do this. Read the Word, internalize it. You can do this. You can do this. And if you do, this year will be the best year you've ever had in your life. Is this helpful? All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the tool that you have given to us. We thank you for the word of God, that it is a sure foundation for our life, that it is our anchor, that it is our defense, it is our sword. God, it is the light to our path. We just pray that you would help us to learn it, love it, and live it. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.